0: Hello everyone, uh, this is David. And this is Mo. And uh you're listening to Cyberdelia. Um Mo, what are we talking about today? Well, today's topic is uh lights, camera.
1: Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> want to talk about uh, the new reality that a lot of us live in, and that's uh, working from home, working remotely, and uh, the tools that we use to make sure that we're effective and can can do our work. Uh, so hardware and software. Uh, but maybe we could just talk about how our week's been. David, how have you been?
0: Oh, it's been a long week, but uh, <laughs> one of those weeks that's felt like two. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe we uh, recorded the last podcast last week, but yeah, uh, it, it seems like we're finally getting into the uh, cold months here in Calgary where uh, basically the best thing to do is hunker down, read a few books, and get to hacking. So, been, been doing a lot of Capture the Flag stuff. It's been working on. Um, so, uh, actually, there was a company Capture the Flag event uh, this week. And uh, it, one of those things where I, I realized just how wishy washy my cryptography knowledge was. So, I finally finally cracked open uh, applied cryptography by Bruce Schneier it's a uh, good read so far he's he's a really good writer um, I, I've always enjoyed his blog yeah this book it's very approachable I, it's still got a kind of a 90s feel to it but yeah it, it holds up
1: Bruce Schneier that's a that's an important name in in the industry and crypto is a fascinating topic as well. Uh I'd love to, I'd love to learn more about that as uh, as you proceed into the world of crypto maybe one of these days we can do an episode on that mm-hmm. Um this week I've been actually reading a little bit about Lucene and full text search and full text in- indexing trying to ra- wrap my head around this idea of inverted indexes and it's not as complicated as I thought it would be for the most part it's just taking a you know a regular like, relational database index and you're just inverting it so all the tokens that uh, would match would align to a single document or identifier. So I've been learning about Lucene and and the Lucene project, and I'll continue to work through that. Yeah, that that,
0: that sounds like that's an episode there too. Um,
1: Yeah, I think so. I think like uh, we use full text search and a lot of different databases are now starting to, either starting to or have already some support for full text search. Uh, And as a programmer, you know, full text search is something that I understand exists, but I've never really taken the time to look into it to understand what are the algorithms and data structures that are necessary to provide full-text search efficiently? And what are some of the, the concerns that you have to think about from storage? Uh, and so yeah, maybe we can do an episode on that as we get a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. So David, you also told me that, well, you've been receiving some feedback about our show. There's there's people that have been listening. In the
0: last count, I think we had six listeners. What are oh. we up to now? Well, We're at least 10 listeners um, based off of feedback. So, I mean, this is explosive growth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There might be more, um, but this is just people who've actually reached out. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you like our stuff, definitely send us some feedback because, I mean, we we respect your privacy, um, which which is why we don't uh, keep analytics on this stuff. But um, it's always nice to uh, hear positive feedback. So, yes, reach out. In other news, I did give my notice this
1: week, I just realized. So I'm wrapping things up with my uh, current employer and it's been it's been bittersweet. i um, talking to a lot of different people and I'm getting feedback that uh, very kind feedback from people in the organization that I didn't really realize I had an impact on that I knew had an impact on me. And it's been a fun week. So I hope I get a chance to talk to everyone. Uh, and if you're listening, you know, feel free to reach out and chat with me if you'd like. All right, why don't we dive into today's episode, uh, David? What do you think?
0: Well, I think, uh, so <laughs> where Where I'm going with that is, um, so now that every meeting is uh, through either Zoom. Wait, can you turn up your audio? Can you turn up your mic? Oh, oh sorry. Can, can you hear me? My, my, oh, my video is it dropping my end? out. Oh, let you're me gone. Check my settings.
1: Can you see me? <laughs> wait, can you hear my, can you see me? Oh, or I me think I chat? have to update my client. Should we do the video that... chat? Or should we go? Let me try the group chat.
0: (laughs) Certainly uh, the world is getting better at, uh, you know, dealing with those sorts of faux pas of um, how we do video chat. But uh, some folks less about faux pas, but a bit more about technique. Um, So one thing I found is uh, a lot of people don't really record their audio that well. Um, And In video chat, there's going to be things that are outside of your control. So, you know, a network connection or the service you're using goes down or is having degradation. But there's a certain amount of garbage in, garbage out. It doesn't have to be expensive to have a really decent setup. Um, And that's kind of what I want to get across. Like, I was very fortunate as a teenager. I got to work uh, in a radio station and uh, some some valuable advice I got was, um, you know, technique can help you in any situation whereas equipment i mean that's going to vary from situation to situation how much money you have and so just learning a little bit about technique that's super uh super valuable advice first i want to get across like so this podcast i mean sometimes certainly we've, we've used some nice equipment but uh since since we've gone into a uh, full remote mode my setup is not an expensive one I'm using a rock band microphone. So if you recall that video game rock band, (laughs) um, that, that microphone that came with the game, that's just a Logitech USB microphone. Um, you, you can get one at like a garage sale for like 10 bucks They're They are cheap, but they're also really good. They're, they're just generic USB audio devices. And if you couple that with, you know, a basic, uh, desk microphone stand, which you can get on, you know, an online, uh, marketplace. I've not used a brand name here, but uh, for like 10 bucks, you can get a decent one, put it on top of a book. And then all I do is I just make sure what I learned in radio, keep about a hand's width away uh, from the microphone to your mouth, and you sound great. So for a setup that's, you know, maybe 20 to 30 bucks Canadian, uh, you could sound pretty good. And far better than I've seen some really expensive setups that do not deliver an audio quality at all. Gamer like headsets... more money doesn't mean better quality. Exactly. So gamer headsets are really hit and miss. You know, they'll have really good uh, uh, headphones, but the microphone itself, the quality is just terrible. Or but the YouTube um, videos
1: around them are so good. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> the the <laughs> the platform. I, I was trying to say that without saying the YT. The YT uh, videos awesome. are so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So and I mean. The headsets are getting better, but I mean, there's there's ones that they're just like if you record yourself with something like Audacity and listen back to what you're saying, like it, it's pretty clear whether or not the quality is good or not. And then also there's problems with latency. So if you're using a wireless headset, I mean, yeah, it's nice that you can walk around your uh, your office or something. But that extra, you know, 100, 200 milliseconds of latency can really throw off a conversation in a way that you can't place your finger on unless you know about it. The other thing that I've uh, I like, it's not a faux pas, but those phone headphone mics that uh, you get with like an iPhone or an Android, uh, at which, you know, they're they're meant for when you're walking around and talking. They're really not good for meetings, though, because anytime they brush up against your face, you get the <laughs> a sound. Um, it, it's just it's unpleasant for other listeners. And you, you don't want people to come away from a meeting where they say oh your ideas were good but I actually hated listening to you <laughs> I, I've been to meetings which were physically painful to listen to it, it was just so bad. so I plead here just spend five minutes figuring out how how to sound decent it, it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money but like we're, we're gonna be doing this uh, video chat thing I think for a real long time um, and, and even even after uh, the, the world pandemic is over, I, I don't think the we're gonna stop doing video meetings. So like this is a this is a good life skill at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I received some feedback in a meeting. I want to say maybe a month ago, and the feedback was like, "What's what's that cricket sound? What's that cricket sound?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean? What cricket? I don't hear any crickets. It sounds fine to me." And after a little bit of digging, I figured out how to attach or, or read the. So what I I use a Logitech C920 I think or C922. I can't remember one of those. And it's got both a uh, a camera as well as two microphones. And so I figured out how to attach to the microphone and the camera and stream that data to VLC. And just like in real time, watch and listen to myself. So I have a script now. I just type cam and it'll just launch the camera and I can see myself. And as soon as I did that, I heard the crickets. I was like, what? Where are those crickets coming from? I, I I'm pretty sure there's no crickets in my office. Where is that coming from? And I looked at the I think it was uh, well, I started reading a little bit about pulse audio as well as Ulsa and figuring out what I can use to actually dig into the uh, settings for my microphone. And it turned out that I have a I have a CPU that sits underneath my desk, and one of the fans is are starting to go. And so you can actually hear the fan starting to go when you go when you get a little really close to it. But this microphone was so sensitive, it was picking up the sound of the fan from my CPU, and that was what was making the the cricket sound. So when I was able to finally configure, I think I use uh, Pavu Control. Yes, Pavu Control. And uh, and so from now on, whenever I get into a call, I launch uh, the Pulse Audio Video Control just so I can tweak the the mic settings to make sure it's just right and and nobody's listening to, to crickets. And I have no idea how long I was doing that. I was basically harming my colleagues ears <laughs> unintentionally. And it's really important, I think, as you mentioned, like uh, as you were, you could be listening to something that sounds reasonably good, like in terms of an idea or a really good idea, but you can't focus on that because of the, the background noise. Mm-hmm. So just taking the time to measure by recording yourself, listening to it, and if you could do it in real time, it's quite uh, it's, it's worth the effort in terms of respecting your colleagues.
0: I had no idea your equipment was a rock band microphone, because <laughs> that's surprising oh, yeah. to me. But so surprising. It, it works great. And, I mean, you can certainly go more expensive. I, I mean, I've, I've seen people, they have, like, fancy, almost radio-grade microphones, um, you know, condenser microphones with uh, going through, like, a tube amplifier. And then, you know, it, it gets uh, pushed into... Um, at some point, uh, analog to digital converter, and just sounds okay. And it's like, well, you would have been fine with just something you'd pick up at Radio Shack. Um, or I, I guess... No, uh, yeah, yeah, in terms of quality. I, and, you know, not a knock-on. I've, I've used some uh, microphones uh, in, in my audio recording days that I, you know, again, I paid a few bucks for um, and they sound great. And that's where a technique really comes in. And also just use your ears. It's as simple as that. If you spend just like not a lot of time, a few minutes, and figuring out where that sweet spot is, you'll always sound like a million bucks. I I mean, another thing, we we don't really think of our offices as recording studios, but here we are. Uh, And suddenly, suddenly, you know, uh, I I know people have been spending money uh, redecorating the backgrounds of uh, their video calls so that it looks all nice. And oh, here's I've got my books set up just so. But, I mean, besides that, actually having a lot of uh, books in your office can be good for uh, deadening outside noise. They can be good for acoustic treatment. Um, Interesting.
1: Yeah. As a a sound dampener, so that noise doesn't carry through uh, walls where there might be people in rooms next to you.
0: I mean, I'm I'm fortunate that I'm a bit of a reader, so uh, between my office and the living room, uh, it, if someone wanted to watch TV, but I wanted to record a podcast, that's fine, because there are so many books between <laughs> between there and here that I, it just doesn't come out. And, you know, another thing that you can look into is, uh, I mean, there there's hardware devices for it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's something for pulse audio, but a basic noise gate where you basically say if if noise doesn't uh, if the sound doesn't pass this threshold, Don't pick it up on the mic and a whole lot of, okay. say someone's just tapping their fingers on their desk or, um, you know, tapping a pen or something. It won't get picked up. So, again, these are not expensive things. Um, Well, actually, noise gate might be. But just thinking a little bit about what you're doing, that's not going to cost you anything, but you will sound better.
1: That's interesting because I know that recently, you know, after tweaking my audio settings because of the the cricket sound, I've been quite hesitant to even touch my keyboard because I, I I recognize just how easy it is to capture that sound. But I do a lot of note taking during calls, and I and the act of typing helps me process and and retain that information. So you're saying I can use a noise filter? What did you call it? A uh, a noise gate. A noise gate to actually limit external sounds and just capture my audio coming from my mouth.
0: Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, if if you've got one of those mechanical keyboards or something that makes a, a real racket, which I mean, some people really enjoy. Um, I know, I know, I did. Uh, you know, that's that's obviously gonna it's gonna come out. There's there's something you can do about that. But
1: I'm still uh, using my uh, Microsoft ergonomic 4000 keyboard <laughs> that I've been using since like 2007. Um, it's, yeah, it's a little clickety, but it's not a mechanical keyboard by any means, but just that the clicking is loud enough that it gets captured through the mic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's two more things I want to talk about. You know, one thing, actually, both of them I struggled with. One is this idea of eye contact, you know, being in a physical room around other people. I realized that I would like read the room. So as people are speaking, I'd look around to try to make eye contact and try to get a, a sense of, how people are interpreting the information, whether they're being included or not, whether they're, they're looking doubtful, et cetera. And I struggle with this now. I, I don't have the ability to make eye contact, or at least like I try to position my camera so that it's like center. But when I want to look at your eyes, which, you know, depending on how I lay out my windows on, on my uh, desktop, I, it may look like I'm looking down or a different corner or not quite paying attention to you when I am making eye contact with you. Is there something that you do to to work on that, or how do you handle eye contact?
0: I, I'm unfortunately not a great person for that. <laughs> okay, but uh, and part of that is rather unfortunately just the way uh, you kind of have to decide what you're going to prioritize on your desk. So if right. you want a a um, I realize uh, for our listeners this kind of hard to uh, uh, visually, so I'll try my best in describing uh, what's going on. So if you've got a camera that's like bang on uh, for eye contact, that means you probably don't have a very large screen either. Um, And so for my desk, just because I still find myself spending a lot of time at a terminal, I've got a a pretty big monitor and I kind of need that uh, just so I can see everything that's going on. And unfortunately that means that my webcam is actually... I have to turn right. in my chair right. and I, I mean, I find it uh, a little awkward and, you know, it, it would be great if I had a webcam that and and maybe maybe this is a, an idea for some product company to steal a webcam that is actually on um, sort of a, a, a snake like um, in the same way that you see those uh, lights where uh, you can bend it so that you can focus the light just where you need to. A webcam that would actually allow you to snake it so that it's like, OK, right now I need to be on camera. So I just move this down. right, And then when I'm done with it, just push it up and I don't think about it. Um, oh, if I could just grab a piece of paper
1: and quickly scratch something out on, a, on the paper and like point the camera down at it as if we're doing sort of a whiteboard session. I would love that. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, I'm thinking of those lamps from. Uh, another big box retailer, just like you're talking <laughs> about, that has has the coil that you can point it around. Uh, I ima- I wonder if that exists. Uh, I, that. I
0: know what I'm searching for after this episode. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I can think of uh, lots of good uses for that. So, the yeah. layout is important because
1: I, I find myself, okay, so we've got this meeting. We've got a shared document. We're all collaborating on the document. So I want to see what's being written. But at the same time, I want to see... What uh, everyone's doing in terms of like their eyes, so I'm trying to get that position in the right place so I can have it in a gallery view and see everyone. I want to hear what's going on. Plus, I want to you know capture my own notes on the side, and so I find myself like having to reposition my windows a lot. And I haven't quite found out the optimal setup. So I sometimes put like one one window is focused just on my note taking, another one is the browser so I can see the shared document, another one might be the uh, window that shows the cameras of everyone in the room. Um, it's such a weird or a different feeling for me, especially after being in person and working in meeting rooms, uh, for so long, it's a new skill.
0: Oh, uh, there, there's something I, I'll, uh, there's a video I'll have to send you. So there was this proof of concept that some microsystems had, and I want to call it the star project, but I'm not sure that that was the name, but uh, more importantly, what it was, they had this desk concept that was really, um, I, I liked the idea of it. So essentially, you had your screen, but also the desk, which you know was horizontal, was also a screen. and say you wanted to scan a document. You would place it on the desk and press it and it would read that in. But it, it's interesting to me that we still use mechanical keyboards and mice, uh, and we haven't yet figured out how to get the screen on the desk. So I mean, we we definitely have touch screens sort of working on phones, but why is it that we still prefer mechanical keyboard to again like a a, a screen that you could then imagine you have your notes on one side, you could move it around. Uh, oh wow, yeah, and, I could have
1: my bamboo tabletop with an embedded <laughs> screen in it that uh, you know I could type in, but as well as have the ability to move things around and, you know, use it in place of a mouse, a touchpad. I'm thinking of like all the futuristic movies, and I'm trying to think of one in particular where you have people like swiping their hands from side to side and throwing windows up and down.
0: I'm sure this stuff already exists somewhere, you know, as, as the saying goes, the future is already here. It's just uh, unevenly distributed. Um, I think something like that, especially these days now where... You kinda of have to juggle a whole lot of digital displays at once, which in the past was just a non-issue, precisely because you you could sit at a, a table with other people, you'd be writing on a notepad or typing in a laptop, but you still had the ability to do eye contact
1: and Yeah. I, I wonder like what a couple of years from now will look like, you know, and like the impact on enterprise sales, where like you know, when you go to an office, they've got wired ethernet connections through the walls poking through the holes they've got uh so- sound dampeners in the hallways they've got uh wireless access points everywhere so you can be physically connected to the network but working from home you don't really have an it department you don't have someone to take care of those things i've got to wire my own connections i've got to run my own you know netgate appliance and pf sense and make sure that my up and down speeds are good so that we can have this conversation so like I've got to run my own printer so that I can actually scan documents, print them off, sign them, scan them, uh, before we move to like a fully digital world. And I have to ask, I have to wonder, like, how are people doing this? How are they coping? How are they making sure that their networks are secure and
0: mm. they're still able to do their work? Well, I, I think there's going to be that place in camera sales and in audio, there's the concept of the prosumer, uh, where you know they're not just playing around with it. it it's part of the work or or you know they they are willing to spend a lot of money on it so it's nearly pro-grade but it's not designed for like a hundred people it's designed for you know one or two i mean we we talk about a uh, small office home office but i i think for stuff like networking equipment we're, we're gonna see a lot more of that where it look it's not designed to be super fancy in the office, you're, you're really just looking for reliability. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm working an eight hour day, if suddenly my home router kicks the bucket for, you know, a, f- a few hours or something, and I have to mess around with that, well, that's time that I'm spending on that instead of my actual work. Yeah. So I think we'll probably see a little more of that. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see. Funny story. I was having a
1: coffee chat with uh, a director at my organization. And he was apologizing for the uh, video and audio quality because he says, around this time of day, it seems like there's a lot of network congestion in the area. He's using a cable modem. And so his network speeds tend to not be so great at this time of day. And it made me wonder. I'm like, wow, you know, uh, first of all, I was like excited I'm talking to a director. And then, uh, <laughs> but this, he, I realized that he's just a human being, right? And he's, you know, limited to, Uh, what's available to him in his area and his access. And, you know, in in many cases, I was privileged over this individual, even though he's like higher in the organization, because I have fiber to the house and my internet quality was much better. And so I I didn't have to worry as much about those sorts of things. Whereas now it made me think of like, if I was in an area where I didn't have access to like good internet quality, what would that mean in terms of me being able to be part of this remote workforce? What sort of access or, or how would this set me back? Uh, And what does that look like for them? So like it's an advantage to be in an area with a fiber connection today. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you think,
0: David? I mean, we talk of digital divide and all of a sudden bandwidth is that's front and center now. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, as this continues on and bandwidth again, people are expected to be able to do video chat. Yes, the the codecs are getting better, and but they can only do so much. And so areas that have historically been underserved by providers for whatever reason, I'm wondering what will happen if we start seeing if that ends up be- becoming a political issue where you actually remove the capability of an area to become upwardly mobile um, mm-hmm. because they effectively have no good internet. Um, right. And right there now have we been, have private
1: entities that decide where to invest.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised. So there's this one town in uh, Alberta called Olds and they, they were basically unserved or underserved by uh, the company and so they started up their own ISP, and a co-op. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they've got some smoking fast internet. So they, they saw that this was this was important to the future of the town, and they mm-hmm. invested in that, and they realized that, that they couldn't rely essentially on um, the the usual market forces to make that happen. So it became like a utility, like electricity, water, etc. Mm-hmm. And We've never really thought of the Internet as an essential utility like water, like power. So when you've got areas where you can only get Internet through satellites or um, through dial up, I mean, dial up still a thing uh, believe right. or not. You have to ask, are these people basically getting shut out of the market yep. uh, where they can't actually work remotely, which is now a requirement? Um, yep. So it depends also like how long this pandemic goes on for, because say they've got a vaccine tomorrow, which I don't think is going to happen, but if they did great, then we just, we still need to figure out the internet speed issues, but it's not that that's a, um, a limiting factor, but let's say this goes on for another two or three years. That's two or three years that people can't work from home effectively. And so how, how do they, um,
1: exist in this new reality how do they contribute and be part of
0: it and let's not forget there's a lot of people who also just don't have home computers because they can't afford it and so they've been using libraries up to now so shout out to all the libraries that are uh, helping people out doing the yeah. best they can but I, I think there's going to be an exaggeration of um effect for the people who were not already in that sort of i have a decent internet connection i have a computer that was made in the past five years, those people are going to be shut out if they haven't been already.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's an interesting thing to think about. That was heavy. So there's one <laughs> <other thing. laughs> I don't know how to segue into this other thing I want to talk about. I don't think it's as heavy, but it is interesting. Like, um, I want to talk about lighting. I'm just looking at you, David, and I see there's some natural lighting on you. And you're showing up very well on camera for me. I can see you clearly. I feel like you're almost like right in front of me. And I noticed uh, in my own lighting was quite poor for quite a while. I rearranged my office and my desk and the direction I was pointing for quite some time. And, you know, I have fairly dark skin and I'd show up very dark on camera. I got like that. I mentioned that uh, webcam I tried to get. I think it's 1080p. Yeah, 1080p. I wanted to make sure there was a crystal clear picture so you could see me so because, like, if I didn't want you to experience this, like, uh, distorted version of me. I want you to feel like you and I can still connect and we can collaborate together, whether it's through mm-hmm. this or at work. But I, it was always coming in dark. <laughs> <Like> it looks <laughs> like I was just, you couldn't see me. And so I had to invest in some lighting. And what are your thoughts on, like,
0: natural lighting versus synthetic lighting? And, and how do you manage that? I mean, natural lighting is great. Just for my own mood, I find it pretty nice. Um, that it happens to be good for the camera is also nice. But then, okay, well, we're getting into the winter months. There's not as much uh, light. So I, I have to be mindful of what my, uh, what my artificial light is. And so right now I've got this um, sort of industrial lamp. Um, it's just fluorescent tubes. It, honestly, not a very flattering light, nor is my room overhead. When when I've been really pressed to to look sharp, as we're getting into conferences where people are presenting from home, there's videos online because um, it, it's kind of hard to actually describe an audio. But you can um, essentially just take the tricks that Hollywood uses anytime there's a, you know a documentary and okay we want to have someone sitting in front of the camera talking. Well, if you Actually, just break down the lighting that they're using. So you've got a backlight on you, there's a key light, you can look uh, really well lit. It's, it's not casting any weird shadows on your face. It's very nice. But that only works well if you actually have full control over your environment. So, I mean, I consider myself very uh, fortunate. I've, I've got a home office, um, and not everyone has that. So, if the only place that you can have a video chat is your kitchen table, say, or, or you actually have to do it from a workspace, like a shared workspace or from an office, you don't have nearly as much control. But as I said, with the audio part, a lot of it is if if you know what you're looking for, honestly, just looking at your own video, you can sort of make the as many tweaks as you can. And uh, you go from there.
1: Yeah, there was uh, a few recommendations at work Uh, around lighting and actually like purchasing equipment for lighting. And you mentioned like backlighting and key lighting. I didn't know these terms, but (laughs) so at work, um, there were some folks that were saying uh, to get a Elgato key light. So I looked at the Elgato key light and they were sold out, you know, for the longest time they've been sold out. (laughs) I couldn't get one. So I tried just getting like a, a, an Ikea lamp, actually one of those bendable lamps that uh, we were talking about earlier and just pointing it at my face. It would hurt my eyes. Like, I'd be in these meetings and my eyes would just be so so burnt out that I just needed to walk away, just having this light, like, pointing at my face uh, just so people could see me. And uh, so that wasn't working. I eventually found a Loom Cube, which was a little more affordable. And now I've got this Loom Cube sitting on top of my webcam that I turn on for meetings. So if I just let me just try to turn this off, you can see the difference in my lighting. And it may not be too much. It's just it's subtle because I've got natural lighting coming in. But as you mentioned, in the winter months, I don't have as much lighting and even the ceiling lighting isn't enough. So just having that extra bit of lighting just, I think, made me look friendlier. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a weird thing that I have to like uh, consider, but I, I do want to make sure that I present as a friendly person. And so lighting is something that I do uh, now think that people need to consider in terms of their presence in the
0: office. I mean, think about, for the longest, I mean, less so in the tech industry, obviously. But people would dress up for work. You you try to present your best face because you want people to take you seriously. You want people right. to feel they
1: that college, you're friendly. Ideas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it's why you comb your hair or you know any of that stuff. So so in this new reality, all of a sudden, these things which used to be just sort of the territory of AV geeks like myself, um, yeah. now suddenly that is the new uh, wearing a tie. That's the new dressing up fancy because that's how you come across uh, well. Like, so if you're doing an interview, you would always dress your finest. Well, suddenly, if you're interviewing over video, you have to figure out some way to actually stand out from the rest. And so part of that is, hey, I'm actually going to spend the 20 minutes to figure out how I sound good, how I... uh, how I'm lit so that I, I look approachable. You're just looking for that edge. So it's kind of funny that the stuff that I just did for totally unrelated reasons now uh, are actually relevant in the business space. Right.
1: You're a leader in the space now.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which It's is, is weird because um, you don't normally think of doing uh, radio shows as like, oh, this will be useful when I talk about Product X. Um, Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, it reminded me of an email uh, that was sent out. So I worked at this company. um, It was uh, an oil and gas producer and an email was sent out at this company. We were allowed to wear jeans on Fridays, but only Fridays the rest of the week. (laughs) We were not allowed to wear jeans. And I laugh at this now. And an email was sent out that had the definition of smart casual. And it described what you were allowed to wear and not wear. I don't know what triggered this email or why it needed to be sent out. Um, that email bothered me. <laughs> like this idea, that, and just even right now thinking about that, uh, being at that office and being and wishing I could wear jeans. Right, and and then you know what happened is that on Friday, everybody wore jeans. So jeans became the new uniform. So you looked weird if you weren't wearing jeans on Friday. And I'd get in these elevators riding up and I'd look around and everyone was just a robot, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, just <laughs> like and I felt terrible. I was like, how how do I maintain some level of creativity, you know, in my work? And my work requires problem solving, which requires like some element of creative thinking while you're placed under these restrictions of like smart casual means this. So and jean shorts, is that how you accomplished <laughs> it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe somebody more brave would have tested the the lines to see what would have happened there. Gene yeah.
0: uh, Kilt. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see what the casual Friday of uh, video chat's going to be. If it's just, you know, the jankiest <laughs> web camera you can find that was like made in the 1990s and.
1: Uh... Well, we have this like chest down here in the toy room, full of just costumes and funny hats and funny glasses <laughs> and stuff. And I thought about you know, getting on a call and, and just putting the stuff on just for fun to, to see what would happen. But it really, I don't know, it depends on the culture of the company and the group. And I, I don't know that everyone would respond the same way. And <laughs> some of that comes with like relationship and time. So I think like if I were to get uh, on a call with you and maybe some of the other colleagues and we all work together, uh, you probably would have laughed, right? Because we had this level of of a relationship with it was in person. So you could get the nuances of, uh, you know, when Mo is upset or not upset or just joking around, but since we spend less time in person, I don't know that that sort of translate as easily. So it means like when I'm on camera, because it's, uh, I'm spending less time on camera because it's a focused meetings. I'm trying to be as professional as possible. Uh, cause mm-hmm. that's the only, you know, that's the, that's what you remember about me. And, uh, Oh, so if I were to just like walk into work one day with my backpack and, you know, a funny pair of glasses and this big, <laughs> funny, you know, wig or something on, oh, everyone would laugh, right? But it, it would just be adding to the the element of my personality that you would get. So now I, I think some of that you have to translate into Slack or into other things. It's a new world. It's, it's so weird for me. I can only imagine what it'd be like for somebody starting in this industry or any industry today. Like if Yesterday was their first day or this was their first week and never physically meeting their colleagues and working in the style for years. And then all of a sudden transitioning to, oh, we're all doing office work now. Everybody goes to an office like that would be, I think, just as difficult for some. That would be very jarring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the transition was actually quite good for me. Like I, I chose to go remote. So I joined an all remote company before the pandemic. And this is something that I wanted. And I happened to go to an organization that did really good in terms of describing how to work remote and engaging its employees and having, I think, some pretty good processes to make sure that we could work remote effectively. But I'm still trying to picture what it's like to be in an organization where it was mostly in person and everybody loved being in person and then going to fully remote. Do you immediately recognize the need to transition or do you try to bring the same interactions of like uh synchronous meetings with you to the new world and so i'll see if i
0: can explore that more but what do you think david i mean one thing i've seen is uh the idea of virtual coffee chats so i mean we talk about how anytime we're on camera we have to be our absolute most professional but so we would take an hour and just chat about whatever or play chess or uh, something which sort of took the edge off of yeah. always professional on the t- all the time, anytime I'm in front of a camera. I do kind of find that a pale substitute to the real thing, but ultimately, we, we kind of have to figure out, because humans are such social creatures, how do we still get that element of uh, sociability, um, which is really good for gelling a team, but in a way where, oh, we also can't we we can't do the normal team building exercises to paintball or whatever.
1: Paintball. Oh, I miss paintball. But I don't know. Yeah.
0: I don't know that there's many IT places doing paintball, but um, but yeah, stuff like that. Um, I I have found that fairly effective. You know, I, I've heard of some teams that uh, they'll after hours play Starcraft or uh, do stuff like that. Yeah, we'll see. I I think that that's going to evolve over the next year or two as as teams start figuring out more tricks. And I I think also it, because everyone's all doing this at the same time, everyone's actually talking about it. Whereas teams who might've been doing this for years, why would they ever discuss how they, you know, Oh, well, after hours we play online poker with each other, it it would just never come up. Uh, So that's kind of
1: nice. I joined a scheduled call last week. It's a scheduled meeting and it was a social call where I think there was four of us on the call, we played Draw source. It was so much fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. It's like Pictionary, but it's uh, it's all done through a browser. And uh, we had four people join. One of them gets nominated as a person who has to pick. They have three words to choose from. They pick a word, and they start drawing it. I used my mouse. So I didn't have a, like, the equivalent of a stylus uh, mm-hmm. to draw, but it was fun just to, to break the monotony. But as well we got to know each other and, you know, a question was raised that was related to work. And we ended up talking that through while we were drawing and playing this game. And that was fun that it was on the schedule and it was a priority. And it was important that we played
0: together. Yeah. It's figuring out those sort of engagements that you can pull in even the new person, because I mean, again, thinking of this sort of company capture the flag event that we were doing, you could tell who, who sort of does this stuff in their outside hours? But it's probably pretty intimidating to, uh, you know, hey, here's a executable. Get the flag inside of it.
1: <laughs> it's almost like a test.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you you have to make sure that the, the social aspects of it are different enough from work that no one's going to mistake this as like uh, an
1: assessment or a test or reflection on their ability to perform their job.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: That's a good distinction. Well, David, I don't know if I have any more essential tools that I want to talk about. Do you have anything
0: that you think uh, is important for the remote worker in 2020? Well, so this one's not being talked about a lot, but I feel like in the next few years it might be. Obviously, everyone's starting to pick their poisons uh, as far as video conferencing stuff's going. So a lot of people use uh, was it Microsoft Teams, there's Skype, there's Zoom, there's uh, Cisco Webex, yeah. and then there's Jitsi. And I want to talk a bit about Jitsi. Um, yes. So this is a free open source video conferencing solution that you can set up a Docker installation in like under an hour. Um, and uh, honestly, Mo, we, we probably should start recording our podcasts over this. Um, we, we've just been using Skype uh, largely out of habit. But I think as time goes on, it's going to get more and more important that these services can actually interoperate. Because I don't know about you, Mo, but if you deal with anyone outside of your team, all of a sudden, oh, well, I have to have a Zoom client. I have to have a WebEx client. I have to have this. And, you know, this is why phones and email still work great. is because I don't have to care that someone's using Microsoft Outlook to be reading their email or if they're using Mutt Whatever. The email gets across and that's fine. And when I want to call someone with my phone, I just punch in their number and voila, we're having a phone call. Yeah, I think we're going to have to get to a point where these services can start interoperating with each other. And I think that's going to be a, a real clash of metal. Um, it's, it's going to be I worry that there's going to have to be an outside force that kind of pushes because the market for these services assumes a monopoly. If Zoom allowed you to interoperate with Microsoft Teams, all of a sudden, if Teams has a better feature set or something or better video quality, then there's nothing to keep you from continuing using Zoom or vice versa. But as long as the server and the client are attached to each other in a way that they just don't interact um, with others, we're going to have this really inefficient system. And I mean, one of the things I've had to do because I got kind of tired of, uh, oh, hey, download this client. Well, I don't want to download your client. Yes. I don't know what the heck's on there. there there's been cases where um, uh, some of these groups, it, it's it's almost malware um, yes. and how, how yes. they uh, take fire over jail. your system.
1: Fire jail well, is a must. I cannot launch Zoom without fire jail. And yes, well, you're right. Some of these clients also, like software, they don't run on all operating systems. You know, there may not be a Linux client, for example.
0: Yeah. For example, on Zoom, if you rewrite the URL, um, because they always try to push you to the slash J URL. And I'm, I'm guessing that's Java or God knows what. Um, but if you rewrite that to uh, slash WC and you add a join in there, then W-R-P-C. you always get the web client. And I don't care about all the. I, I just want to have my conversation at the end of the day. Um, I don't really need any fancy features. And honestly, the browser has been doing this stuff for years. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's some convincing arguments for uh, the need for a downloadable client, probably because, uh, you know, browser developers aren't always good about not breaking stuff um, and not as good as uh, operating systems in, in that sense.
1: I think the APIs are a little bit more reliable these days in in the major browser vendors. And most of them are, like, centralizing around WebKit or Chromium. So mm -hmm. for the most part, it's the same. There was something interesting you mentioned about Jitsi. Like, Jitsi is amazing because the barrier to entry is so low. You go to meet.jit.si, and it generates a, uh, you know, pseudo-random set of words uh, Mm -hmm. that you can use as the meeting room. And instantaneously, without having to log into any service or have an account, you can establish a connection or a video chat uh, with another person on the Internet. And that is amazing to me. That is a really low barrier to entry without having to install anything except for a browser, which is likely already on your machine anyways. To me, I just I love that experience, you know, the having to figure out, okay, go launch this application or go install this client and create an account and leave it on my machine (laughs) and trust it, give it all the permissions to everything, especially the things that are most sensitive, like my camera and my mic and, and just blindly trust it. It's I wish as the person producing content, like me sharing my audio and my video, I could have more control as to. How I do it, like which client I want to use, where that data goes to and how it's stored and who can see it. And at the moment, like if I'm in an organization that says we standardize on tool X, I suppose like it is the company's right to say that. And this is where it's tough for me, because like I where do I draw the line between personal and professional? Is it the company's right to peer into my home <laughs> and for me to share that? <laughs> is it the company's right for them to request that I have webcam on? Uh, maybe I don't feel comfortable sharing that. Like, and maybe I want to keep my home private. Not that I have anything to hide, but it's like, this is my privacy. This is my data. This is, you know, it's like the same thing of like taking my picture with my consent. So, I mean, these are <laughs> interesting things because I think I value privacy quite highly. And I'm starting to re- realize that about myself. And I'd like to have a little bit more control right now. That control comes in the form of, you know, positioning my camera in a way so you can see what I want you to see. Uh, but that's I don't know. I want more control over that experience.
0: I've started hearing a sort of mandatory video on for for all calls. Yep. Um, so the one problem I've seen with every every meeting going to uh, virtual is especially if you're in a day where you've got back to back to back to back meetings. Like I've had days where I've had like 10 meetings Um, and you need to eat once in a while. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there, there's something uh, a little more visceral about watching someone eat uh, food while they're video chatting. Whereas, you know, if you were in a office, look, you're just eating a banana. No big deal. So, yeah, the
1: sound I, of the crunch or the sound of the bite and the smacking of the teeth or etc. can be distracting. I think you're, it's like amplifying that. Whereas in a, in a, in presence, it may not be right in your face,
0: off to yeah. the side. And I mean, certainly it's a faux pas, you know. If well, you know, you had one meeting that day, so why was that when you were eating your like Captain Crunch? Um, but I I think there's also going to be a case made for people who have to fulfill a biological need that has nothing to do with like oh could you just do it some other time so that includes things like say you're diabetic and you have to give yourself an insulin shot like oh yeah hey man that's that's a biological need you know in, in the in the old world as it were you you could sort of work around um and we've become very uh i i guess a little less thoughtful about those physical realities um, mm-hmm. with, with the new medium. But, you know, maybe we have we finally also as a society just get better about watching that stuff and say, well, whatever.
1: Yeah, and I think we're raising these things not to harp on the idea of working from home or remote. It's just like to raise us as, as awareness for topics of discussion that we probably need to start having if we're not already having. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I love working from home. I love being remote. I love being able to work with colleagues all over the world. And like have this little window into what's happening on the other side of the world, even if it's just the sunshine Uh, You know, yes yesterday the day before I was having a coffee chat with someone in um, It was Melbourne, Sydney, Australia And it was the end of my day So Sun was coming down and it was the start of their day and I could see the Sun coming up and just that uh, That was so interesting because it was Friday morning for no. It was Thursday morning for that person no, what day was it? It was the next day. They were in the future. <laughs> and I was on the day in the past. And I love being able to, you know, have this global reach. It makes me feel more like of a citizen of the planet Earth and less of just a a citizen of my local municipality. And I, I can reach and connect with so many more people than I could uh, in my local area. I just happen to be lucky to meet some amazing people in my area, but it took many years before I could. Uh, I'm talking about you, David, and all the kind <laughs> folks at, at, at that org. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot more people that I can connect and meet with. And to me, I love that. Even though I'm an introvert, I think I love meeting people. And I get to do that with some boundaries of saying, OK, I've had enough. I need to go for a walk. I'm going to turn off the video chat and, you know, be alone.
0: In some respects, it's what what I like is, uh, especially if you're in a, a, as you say, a geographically distributed group, um, you get in some respects almost the benefit of travel um because right. what, what's one of the reasons why you would go to um europe I, I mean yes there's beautiful things to see but it's also the interactions that you're going to have with people and with people. those are going to be different yep. that you have from people in north america or people from asia pacific like having that uh, the geographical diversity leads to a mental diversity and that's a good thing um because yep. you you just see that the world is more complex than, than you give it credit for, and uh, you take uh, y- you try to assume less, which is right. good.
1: I I think for me, it's also taught me to be more considerate of the language I choose. There was a meeting earlier this week where somebody was describing a, what I call a checkbox as a tick box, and I had never heard the term tick box before. So I'm talking about in HTML, there's the... Input type, Mm -hmm. and it shows up as a little square that you can click on. And uh, this person was in Australia, and they're referring it to uh, tick box. And I had never heard that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Conversing with others, being aware of when I'm describing the temperature outside, whether to use Fahrenheit or Celsius. uh, Talking about, someone was talking about body weight and losing body weight, and they were describing it in kilos. And, you know, the conversion of kilos, and just it, it reminds me of all the different ways that we can look at the same thing and uh, remember that they exist <laughs> and to go look them
0: up when I can't remember. Oh yeah. Well, so one book that uh, I'm, I'm just finishing now from uh, Henry Petrosky, I believe it's called success through failure. He's talking about how you have all these different railroad gauges and why is standard gauge, um, which I mean, if you've got eight, then what's the standard, but, why is that a certain width? And it it has to do with the carriages that came, uh, that were horse-drawn in Roman civilization. And because those ruts would get that way, okay, well, that meant all the tunnels were built a certain width. And so, like, there's very logical reasons for why something ends up the way it does, but you're not going to see a standardization because standardization, in this case... It was be so expensive. Uh, so the 50 to versus 60 hertz that you see for electrical power or driving on left side of the road versus right side of the road. Um, I mean, countries have changed their electricity. Countries have changed the side of the road. And, and the stories of these are awesome to read. But you realize just how much goes into that. And even then, okay, well, so they changed it, but the world still has 50 versus 60. It still has left versus right. Right now, there's a discussion uh, amongst countries about daylight saving time. Well, yes. you know, one country can move. And, you know, there's there's states in the U.S. where um, they say, oh, heck, we're we're keeping with one. And so from the time zone files like uh, on Linux, heck, if you ever wonder why they're so big, it's because, well, there's a lot of different. Ways uh, to figure out the time across the world. And, you know, there's
1: slash time zone is complicated. There's so mm-hmm. many.
0: And I mean, where I grew up, all the signs are simultaneously in imperial and metric for distance. You're so right on the border, right yeah. on the border uh, with Canada and the US. And and so in this, I guess in the 70s, there was a plan of, oh, we're going to move everything to metric. Well, that didn't happen. They just said oh, we have to have both. Because if Canada is going to be doing metric and, you know, there's so many Canadian tourists, I mean, you grow up and you think nothing of it. It's just, well, yeah, there, there's two different ways. And you only find that to be, uh, you know, strange once you go to a place where there is only metric, there mm-hmm. is only
1: imperial. Mm-hmm. Um, well, David, I love talking to you. We always have these uh, general ideas of what we're going to start the show off with, and we end up going on these tangents. <laughs> I hope that the
0: listeners enjoy them, because I, I do. Um, well, so we did actually... Uh, so one of our listeners, uh, Michael J., was writing about how he loved how our uh, podcasts... We were saying how we're simultaneously Old Man Screams at Cloud, and, uh, you know... Oh, we're gonna go talk on this tangent for an hour about you know this esoteric uh, X server problem. So. Oh right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh. So we'll we'll keep we'll keep doing that. (laughs) Speaking of X server, there was a
1: post yesterday. I read. Um, I think it was last night. Uh, one of the maintainers, or the maintainer of the X, I want to say, Free eighty six. Mm-hmm. Was uh, looking for people to help contribute and uh, help move the project forward because it's a whole bunch of different pieces uh, in X. Uh, yeah. So if you're listening and looking to to
0: help out on moving forward, consider helping out the X project. Help the world, help X project. Um, and yeah. I mean, there's more to the X project than just the uh, the server code or you know your drivers. Uh, like, there's things like XNico, which is the Fun little uh, application where uh, a cat chases your mouse around the screen. Um, oh, like X eyes. X
1: I haven't used X. X, Nico, I'll check that out. Yeah. X eyes so. is great when I was trying to figure out what was in Wayland and what was in X. You know, just that physical, the eyes moving around. And uh, I don't know why it is, but just that helped me understand the difference. Is, uh, when I was running Firefox in Wayland mode or not, it's great.
0: So what is this episode brought to us by?
1: Oh, uh, daylight Saving Time? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And UTC.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. UTC, I I have nothing but love for it. Um, and if your servers are not running UTC and your databases are not running UTC, really yeah. consider that because it may not seem like a problem now, but someday somewhere down the road someone's going to want to communicate with your database and I've, I have seen in the past situations where, okay, well, we're running UTC and for some reason they're running whatever the local time zone is. And so all the database times are off. Uh, Just store your data in
1: a single time zone and use UTC. Yeah. If you have to convert from UTC to some other time zone, do it, uh, outside of storage.
0: Uh, Oh, one other thing that this episode is brought to you by is uh, the QCAT. Um, so I, I've uh, got one little home project going on where I want to, uh, just for insurance reasons, uh, have an inventory of all my books. And uh, it's a lot faster to just get the ISBN off the book. And so the QCAT was this device that was uh, given away at Radio Shack for the longest time. I've got it on my desk right now, and it, there was a few pins on inside of it that if you cut, instead of getting the encrypted output, it would give you just the the plain ASCII uh, numbers uh, for whatever it was scanning. So, Qcat. Today I learned. Today I learned. You you can get it cheap, and it's it's the the cheapest barcode scanner you'll you'll ever find. So.
1: I'd like to add one more. Well, I guess besides more. a
0: phone, if you got a phone these days, I guess those are pretty good too. But
1: there's also uh, <laughs> Zbar uh, IMG. Zbar IMG. It's a CLI tool. Once in a while, when like a program wants, uh, when I'm setting up two-factor auth and it gives you the barcode, I'll just screen cap it, put it through uh, Zbar IMG, get the uh, time-based one-time password, and keep that secret uh, in a vault. So Zbar IMG. <laughs> Right. Z bar, well, Z bar, whatever.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, for our American listeners, uh, Z is a thing here in Canada. They're very proud of it. Um, I only
1: learned that like this last year, <laughs> Like <laughs> to be honest. I've grown up here, but I think I've always said Z instead of Z. I don't know
0: why. Yeah. I mean, that that's very much the imperial versus metric um, debate. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, thank you for listening. And uh talk with you again. Bye for now.